Good morning, morning. Hey guys, my name's Chris and I'm one of the pastors here and uh, it's good to be with you guys. Uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. That's the text that was just read and uh, we're gonna be camped out there this morning. Uh, today we're gonna be uh, looking at Jesus's rejection. He's gonna be rejected by the religious leaders, one of his uh, most beloved disciples uh, and <laughs> uh, uh, also uh, not only the religious leaders, but uh, some of the temple guards. And so uh, as we've entered into this season, when we've walked through the gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus, if you remember just a few chapters ago, he was welcomed into the city of Jerusalem with praise. People were worshiping him, celebrating his arrival. There was excitement in the city. Uh, They were uh, bowing down to him, singing Hosanna in the highest. Okay. So they were praising Jesus. There was great excitement in the city of Jerusalem. But as we enter into the text today, the moods changed. Uh, Jesus has already been betrayed by Judas for a few pieces of silver. He's been arrested by the religious leaders, and he's going to be on the cross in literally less than a day. And so um, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus said all of this would happen. Uh, He predicted before he ever even entered into the city, he told his disciples, guys, uh, here's what's going to happen. Here's what you're going to experience as we come into the city. You guys think I'm going to overthrow Rome, and there's going to be this triumphal moment of victory, but it's going to come in a very different way than you could expect. Uh, I need you to understand, I will be betrayed. I need you to understand what's in front of us is persecution. I need you to understand, I will suffer. I will be rejected. Uh, The religious leaders will uh, interrogate me and eventually the Romans will crucify me. You need to understand what's in front of us. And uh, uh, his disciples didn't fully understand that he actually meant everything he was saying. He's experiencing tremendous rejection in our text. And we may not have endured the rejection that Jesus does at this level, but all of us in this room probably have experienced rejection at some level. Uh, I mean, to live in this world is to experience rejection. And everyone in this room, there's common levels of rejection. Uh, some of you guys have asked somebody out for a date and they did not say yes, okay? Some of our singles are there right now. They got ghosted, they threw it out there on Insta, they threw a text, nobody texts back. Uh, that's some form of rejection, right? There's moments where you've applied for a job and you didn't get it. That's the employer saying, we would rather have someone else than you. Uh, There's a promotion up at work and uh, maybe your boss picked someone else instead of you. That's a slight, subtle form of rejection. Uh, Maybe you tried out for a team. Every athlete in this room, there's a team that you make and there's a team that you don't make, right? You tried out for a team and you didn't make the cut. That's a form of rejection. And you've probably experienced those at some level, but There's a different level of rejection that's not common. We can kind of prepare ourselves for that, okay? Um, If you apply for enough colleges or you shoot your shot, you're gonna experience rejection at some level, but there's a deeper level of rejection that's actually really hard to walk through. It's when people um, who maybe were positioned by God in a position in your life where they're supposed to love you and accept you and receive you and protect you and bless you and encourage you, And those are the kind of people that reject you. That just hits a little different. That cuts a little different. And so maybe you felt that. Maybe you felt that from your spouse who left you or quietly is starting to starve the relationship to death by not communicating or connecting with you anymore. Maybe you had a parent reject you. They just flat out left at some point in your life or stopped returning your calls. Uh, Maybe you've been rejected by one of your kids. You loved your kids. You prayed for your kids, but something happened in the relationship and they've Stop answering your calls or stop picking up when you call them. Maybe you had a close group of friends and this is always awkward in the day and age that we live now. Like you used to be really close and you used to do everything together. And now you see on social media, they have a new group of friends and you're not invited. No one else has ever been there. That's always awkward. 
I guess we didn't get the invite. Okay, so you know what that feels like. And that can cut and that can hurt. Well, if you're there, I want you to know that the road that you're walking or have walked, Jesus has already walked it before us, okay? Uh, he, he knows what this rejection feels like. In John chapter 1, verse 11, it says this, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him, right? He came to the Jewish people first and they rejected him as Messiah. As we walk through this passage, it's gonna be an ugly passage to walk through. This is just not a flower easy passage that's just got filled highlights, it's one of just massive injustice and rejection of the Son of God. And it brings me back to a different part of Scripture, Isaiah 53, that kind of 700 years previously was written. And Isaiah prophesied how Jesus would come and what he would endure and what he would purchase for us, but also how people would respond to him. And it says this about uh, Jesus, 700 years before the moment that we're going to see in Luke. It says this, he, Jesus, was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. And so I wonder if you can relate to Jesus today. If you've walked through that level of rejection and you maybe are familiar with suffering and pain, maybe a different question I wanna ask you is not just have you been rejected by others, but let me ask this question. Have you been accepted by someone that should have rejected you? Have you ever experienced the grace of that, of coming with absolutely nothing to offer and somebody bringing you near when you really didn't have a whole bunch to bring to the table? If you ever have experienced a level of acceptance when the other party should have rejected you, you've, you've tasted in part the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you and I should be rejected by the God who created us because we've sinned against him and rebelled against him. And we've done that in a number of ways. We've played religious games with God. We flat out rejected God. We've told God we want to do things our own ways, right? But, but at the end of the day, the gospel is this, that you've been received by a God who should have rejected you because Jesus Christ took on full rejection so that we could be eternally accepted by him. That's the gospel. And so you're looking at this passage and you're trying to make sense, like what good could come from this? Jesus, the perfect lamb of God is rejected by people he created. He's gonna be insulted. He's gonna be mocked. He's gonna be beaten. What good could come from this? What Jesus is doing is he's walking a road of rejection so that you and I could be eternally accepted with God. That's the good news of this gospel. And if you're here today, I hope that still fills you with some level of affection for God. Like there is nothing greater I can say from the stage today that wake you up. Like if you're waiting for the sermon to get better, this is the best part of the sermon right here, right? Because there's no greater gospel I can give you. This is the great news of the gospel that God looked at us, a hot, wretched mess. You guys in this room, we got people lustful, people filled with materialism, folks that are wrestling with racism, people dealing with all kinds of stuff inside. You can, some of y'all blew it in a big way. And the beautiful part of this text is the father before the foundations of the world said, there's a way I'm gonna ransom them and I'm gonna bring them near. I'm going to make a way for them to not just be forgiven, but to be eternally accepted and sit at a table they don't deserve, but it's gonna cost my son ultimate rejection here on earth. And he was willing to make that trade. What great news for us. Why does this matter for you and I? I mean, every single week, you're trying to figure out what you're gonna live for. Okay, every single week, you in this room, you're asking the question, what am I gonna live for? Who am I gonna live for? What am I gonna center my life around? Is it just more money, more pleasure, more vacation days, a little higher social status? What is the thing I'm gonna give my life to? Like, 
I just want to argue with you. There's nothing more beautiful and compelling to give your life to than this person named Jesus Christ. Like if he true, there's no one in your life that loves you like him. No one that would go to the lengths that he went to bring you into relationship with God the Father. If this is true, if this is what Jesus has done, there's nothing you can give your life to that would be better. Not only do I want to call you to give your life to Jesus and surrender and to him in fresh ways, but I think you have an example here. One of the things we see with Jesus is there is a unique God-honoring way to walk through the rejection of this world. So I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get poked, I want to justify why I can swing back. Um, no one else has probably ever done that. Um, but if you've been married more than two minutes, you know what that feels like, okay? Oh, no, she didn't, okay? And then you want to get loud, and you want to just list off your resume and, and all their sins that you've been keeping track of for the last 20 years, right? Like, there's this, this ability to walk the rejection that Jesus models that I think is God-honoring. It's very different than our fleshly nature and how we want to walk the rejection. And the final thing is I just want to give you guys hope. You know, we're not just people that have been rejected by others. We are actually people that reject God. And some of you guys are like, I'm a Christian. I don't reject God. I accepted the gospel. You did, but you can reject his leadership in your life. You can reject his word. You can reject his ways. You can reject the spirit's prompting in your life every week. And Peter does that. One of his most beloved disciples is going to reject Jesus in a moment. And so I want to ask you, is there any hope for Christians who have rejected God? The answer is yes. But I want to show it to you in your text, and I want to walk through it together. So I think there's, there's hope here for all, all of us in this room. So we're going to walk through three scenes of rejection. The first one is Peter. Peter betrays, uh, Peter, Peter betrays Jesus, but Peter throughout the gospel has been this bold, brash, blue-collar fisherman, right? No one's had more high moments in the gospels than Peter, I would say. Uh, he's had some incredible highs. Uh, at one moment, Jesus gives this really hard sermon saying, you got to eat my flesh and, and uh, uh, drink my blood if you want to come to know me. And it's a really hard sermon. And a whole bunch of people leave because they think he's trying to invite them into cannibalism. It's not that, okay, the interpretation is you actually have to receive something from the outside inside to actually have eternal life. You have to receive the gospel. Okay, there it is. But a whole bunch of people were really freaked out. They're like, ah, I'm out of here, okay? Which was exactly Jesus' point because they were only there to get free bread anyways, okay? So in that moment, Peter says, are you leaving? Jesus, look around. If you were a part of a movement and you wanted to be popular and you thought you, got, you were gonna be trending on Twitter and you were gonna be the, the, the friend of the king and, and all this was gonna work out for your ascension up the social ladder, now you're looking, like I just ruined it with one sermon. Are you leaving? He said, no. I've come to believe you're the Holy One of God and you have the words of eternal life. Pretty solid, pretty solid answer. And then when there's massive confusion in the city of who Jesus was, was he a miracle worker? Was he a prophet? You know, Jesus looks at Peter and says, who do you say I am? Is there any confusion in your heart? Who do you say that I am? He says, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. So throughout this whole gospel, Peter's had some amazing highs, some amazing lows, but today what we're gonna see is this absolute fail of all fails. Like, out of his same mouth, he's praised God, and out of the same mouth, he is going to deny knowing Jesus. This is his worst moment that we're going to walk through today. So open up your Bibles. Luke chapter 22, verse 54 is where we're starting. Three scenes of rejection. The first is this. Jesus is rejected by Peter. So here's what it says. Then they seized him, that's Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. 
So we've got a scene change. Jesus was just in the hills, the Mount of Olives. He was praying with his disciples. And Judas has snuck away, uh, went and got the religious guards, led them to Jesus. Now Jesus has been captured, arrested, and he's going to be interrogated by the religious leaders. And previous to this scene, this is kind of the second half of a scene previous in the, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has warned Peter, I want to let you know that Satan wants to sift you. He wants to break you up. He wants to sift you. He's going to test you. And uh, Jesus then prays for him. And Jesus then encourages Peter and says, listen, when you fail, turn back and encourage and strengthen your brothers. Just understand you're going to deny me three times. Well, Peter sees this from Jesus and says, no, these weak other disciples, they might deny you, but I would never deny you. I'm not the one. I'm all in. I'm about that life. I'm ride or die. I got that tattoo. I put the bumper sticker on. I'm in the game. Nobody else has ever had that moment like, not me. Some of these other weak Christians would do that, but not me. Okay? That's Peter. That's what he's doing. He's filled with self-assurance and pride. He says, I would never leave. And uh, many of you guys might remember that right after that scene, uh, the temple guards then come to arrest Jesus and Peter pulls out his little sword and tries to cut one of the guards ears off. And this is not like a Roman soldier. This is like a temple security guard. Okay. This is like a mall cop with a taser tries to attack that guy. All right. Uh, he, he gets a little bit of his earlobe. Jesus has to say, this is not the way of the kingdom. Let me get this guy's ear, put it back on. Says, Peter, put your little dagger away. First of all, you missed and hit his earlobe. Okay. This is not like your Spartan 300. Okay. So, um, so, so he has to stop that drama. And, and now what we start to see is there's a, sh- a shift change in our text from the spotlight being on Jesus, who's just been arrested now back onto Peter, who's warming himself next to a fire. And he's now surrounded by people who aren't on team Jesus. These are people who are hostile to Jesus, who don't welcome Jesus's presence in Jerusalem. And so we're gonna see this. Jesus is uh, sitting by the fire, trying to warm himself up by a crowd. And Jesus is inside being interrogated. Here's the scene, it plays out. Verse uh, 56, then a servant girl uh, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man also was with him, but he denied it saying, woman, I did not know him. And a little while later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly, This man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. So this whole scene went down just as Jesus said it was going to go down. Uh, Peter gets around this teenage servant girl. He's trying to warm himself next to a fire in the evening. And she says, "You, you look like one of those disciples that was hanging around Jesus. And he says, I don't even know Jesus. I'm not one of the disciples. I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm not a worshiper of Jesus. I'm not a fan of Jesus. I don't even know Jesus. And what struck me in a new way this this week when I was reading this text is, as you walk through it, there's the immediate denial, right? And then it says in the text, an hour goes by. Have you ever blown it in one moment and been like, man, that was a fail. I I need to respond differently next time that happens. The whole hour goes by and he does the same exact thing. Husbands, there's hope for you, okay, is what I'm telling you. I see so much of myself so humble in this text. Peter has an hour to think about how he blew it, but he doubles down in self-protecting pride. He cowards back, okay? Look with me at how this kind of this scene ends. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered uh, the saying of the Lord. 
how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I just want to ask, can you imagine this moment? Jesus told you, you are going to deny me. You said, no, it's not going to be me, Lord, not me. Somebody else, but not me. And then sure enough, it happens just like Jesus said, and you have been the one who's been unfaithful. You've denied Christ. And this is Peter's worst moment. I mean, this is the day that he wished he could cover up, that he could erase, that he could have back, that nobody would ever know of. The Bible's honest. It's recorded for us in scripture, and we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. And Jesus makes eye contact with Peter at his very lowest, worst moment. This is the worst moment of Peter's life. It's being seen by the eyes of Jesus. And Peter's response to his sin is appropriate. He weeps. He's guilty. He's been unfaithful. He sinned. His heart was prideful. His lips were dishonest. And he's done the thing he said, I am never going to do. And it's so easy to look at Peter and be like, Peter, if I, how hard is this? I mean, Peter, nobody wanted you on their team. No one was picking you. You're a mildly employed fisherman. You, you don't make any money. You don't have any education. You don't come from a prominent family. And this Jesus picked you? And you've seen his miracles and you've heard his sermons and you, you've prayed with him. And then the moment comes where a teenage girl asks you, do you even know that guy? And you said, no, this is a fail. And it's so easy to be like, I would never do that. But City Light, I wonder if you've ever been in this place because I've been in this place. I wonder if you've ever told God, I would never do that thing only to do that thing. Have you ever made a vow to God and been unable to keep or unwilling to keep it? Maybe it sounds like this if you've forgotten. Lord, I'm gonna love this spouse sacrificially like Christ called me to. And then years go by, you've been pastant and distant and critical and what's happened in your heart is you've grown bitter over time. Have you ever told God, I will never, I'll never go back to that thing. I'm done, never again. And then you take another drink and you click on the picture and you go back to the dark website. You place another bet. You use your words once again to gossip and to slander and to cut somebody else down. Maybe you've told God, I, I, I would never do this. Or you've told God, maybe just like Peter, I'll do anything for you, Lord, send me. Have you guys ever been here with Ryan singing? He gets you all worked up. Just, Lord, I'll do anything. I'll give anything. I'll love anyone. I'll serve anyone. I'll go anywhere. I'll say it, Lord. I'll do it. My whole life is yours. Get in the parking lot. Somebody cuts you off. You've lost all Christianity. <laughs> like, I can do jail ministry, Lord. I could do jail ministry because <laughs> person didn't use their blinker, you know? You know, but it, it's, it's interesting, you know, even in planes, I see Peter and me like, there's times where I was young in my faith and 20 years old and flying for mission trips and would sit next to somebody and I would have like my Bible out, my six highlighters and my three devotionals, just like, you know, I'm a Jesus fellower, right? So we're going to have this conversation. You want to bring it up? You want me to bring it up? And I would just, I had them right where I want them. There's nowhere you go. I got a captive audience. I got 90 minutes to close this deal. Let's see what happens, you know? And I would just go on the plane. Now I'm like, please don't ask me if I'm a pastor. Please don't. I'm just going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to play the Bible on my phone so I don't even have to have a physical copy. Cause I, and there's part of me that doesn't even want to lean in. It's not because I'm afraid to be labeled a Christian follower, but sometimes I, I got to be honest that I dodge questions and I've missed moments. And I don't know about you, but people sometimes even in where I live in Bennington, I'm involved in youth sports and people can be like, oh, you're a pastor. Are you one of those Jesus people? How do you feel about this issue? And there's this moment where I want a coward. And I don't know if you've been there because that's what Peter did. 
He said, I'm about that life, right? You're in your office. Are you one of those followers of Jesus? And the dodge is, oh, I'm spiritual. I'm still working it out. Okay. That was what Peter just did. He dodged the question. He denied Christ. And so I just wonder if you've ever been there. This week I met with a guy uh, on the phone. I was having a conversation with a guy. And um, to be honest with you guys, he did something you would never want your son to do. And he's fractured some relationships in his life. And the fallout from a real bad moment is pretty massive. And his quote to me was a really honest confession. He was in the same place that Peter was. He was weeping over his sin. And he was very sad and very remorseful. And he said, I feel like I failed God and I failed you and I failed others. And I don't know how God could use this in my life. He was a lot like Peter. And um, where do you take a guy like that? Christians, where do you go when you've had a moment like that? You know, I took him to John chapter 21 because this passage is not the end of Peter's story. So Jesus has this moment. He's being betrayed by Peter, but Jesus goes to the cross to die for people like Peter. And he raises from the grave, and the first thing he does is he seeks out Peter. He says, Peter, let's get some fish tacos this morning. Praise be to God. Never skip breakfast. But he says, Peter, let's have a conversation. He says, do you love me? If you love me, then go and feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times for three denials. And Peter says, yes, I love you, Lord. You know that I love you, Lord. Then he says, then go and feed my sheep. You know what Jesus is doing there? Jesus is saying, I died for people like you. You were unfaithful. I was faithful. You've broken God's laws. I've kept them. Let my obedience cover your disobedience. And by the way, Peter, I'm not just forgiving you and loving you and pursuing you and welcoming you and getting you into heaven so that you don't have to go to hell. I want to use you. That's scandalous. And some of you guys are like, that's a bad idea, Jesus. Right? Because which one of you would leave your family or your business or whatever it is to a guy who flip-flops? to a guy who's blown it in massive ways. That's not a good bet, but praise be to God that Jesus makes bad bets. He takes risks and he uses Peter. Now, why would Peter be the guy that just a few moments later is gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up in front of Jerusalem and talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Why would you want this guy on that team? Because I think Jesus wants to use someone who's actually encountered the grace and the mercy of the gospel. And so what you think would disqualify Peter actually becomes the very thing that qualifies him to be a spokesperson for the gospel because this is not just theory in his head. This is something that's happened in his heart because he's seen what Christ has done for him. And so what's my point? My point is this, that Satan would love to keep you in your seats listening to sermons and singing songs. There's a little subtle lie that Jesus Christ's grace is sufficient enough to get me to heaven and keep me out of hell, keep me in the team. But the best thing I can do with my life is just sit here and memorize verses and become incrementally smarter with my theology and I'll let maybe give a few more dollars than I did last year. But you're not in the game. You're not making disciples. You're not heralding the gospel. We're not loving our neighbors because we believe this lie that I did this thing. I looked at the website. 
I had the addiction. I'm still in process. I don't have it all worked out. My marriage is up and down. I blew it with one of my kids. And so I'm not qualified to do anything for King Jesus. I got to just sit on the sideline. And I'm telling you right now, that's exactly where Satan wants you. He can't steal your salvation. He can allow you and tempt you to waste your life. Listen, if we keep waiting until we get it all together, we will be in glory and there's no more ministry to be done. So let me just ask you, I'm telling you right now, every week I wrestle with it because I sit right there and my wife will be at the 11 as she sees all my dysfunction and I got to make a decision. Am I going to get up here as a person who needs God's grace and try to administer God's grace? Or do I want to just say, man, honestly, what this church needs is a better pastor and it ain't me. I better sit down. I'm going to go sell insurance for a living. But I'm going to keep getting up here because the only people God has to work through are messy, broken people that have been pardoned by the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. What I would love to see is all of our kids' ministries filled with broken sinners that have been forgiven, testifying that they're not perfect people, but they found the perfect one who lived for them. What if that was the story that you got to tell over our high school kids and our college students? Like, what if you stopped saying, well, I'll get into community when I get it together, but what if you got into community right now? Because the only people at that circle are people like Peter. By the way, if you are like, yeah, I don't know if I am like Peter. That's just what Peter would have said. I'm not like the other ones, Lord. I'm not going to fail you. That's the first sign that she's about to have a Peter moment. All that to say is, would we get off the sidelines? I really want to ask you the question. Why do you stay hidden? Why are you not given Jesus permission to use you in ways that would shock you? I guarantee you, when I was getting kicked out of elementary schools and messing up as a college kid and failed succeeding in college, failed succeeding in college, it's a class where they're trying to give you credits. Okay. But on a real note, when I had to limp into my pastor's office and tell him that I'd been baptized, but was still looking at porn, there wasn't a whole lot of people that would say, yeah, that guy's going to go on to be a great pastor. But I'm telling you right now, I've trusted God's grace to change me and shape me. And I still need it every week. But I'm telling you right now, like God can do that story in your life. He can use you in ways that you're not even comfortable with. And by the way, we're going to see it next week at baptism. There's going to be a whole bunch of people getting baptized. And it's going to be an amazing story of God's grace. But look at some of the people baptizing them. They're very in-process people that are making disciples, telling their friends and their classmates about Jesus. And I want you to know God can write that story in your life. Peter gives me so much hope. Second thing I want to show you guys is Jesus is rejected by the mockers. Let's get back into our text, verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in curiosity were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And then they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. So the men are holding Jesus in custody. They've got him arrested. And again, the scene in this text seems to be bouncing back and forth. It was on Jesus in uh, the Mount of Olives. Now it's been on Peter in the courtyard. Now it's shined back on Jesus, who's uh, just on the inside of the home and he's being interrogated uh, and held by the guards. And maybe the guards are used to treating prisoners like this. Maybe this is how they typically respond as they mock and they ridicule prisoners that are in their custody. But Jesus doesn't deserve this. 
Like, have you ever watched a movie and you're like, he's done this and this and this, and you kind of know where the story's gonna end. It's gonna end in this triumphant victory. And if you were walking through the gospels, that's what you would think. All that Jesus has done is the right things. He's loved people. He's fed the poor. You brought him your neighbor who was demon possessed and causing drama. He cast the demon out and restored him and brought him back to your neighborhood better. That's a win. That's all Jesus has done. He didn't break any laws. He never lusted. He never spoke a word that was evil or untrue. Jesus has only loved, only been perfect, only been righteous, only been God honoring. And yet he is getting mocked and beaten and handcuffed. This is absolute injustice and it's painful to watch. And yet there's an encouragement for you and me here. If you've ever thought, God, I've given my best, but I'm getting the world's worst. What I've done doesn't warrant the tone and the treatment and the shame and the slander and the betrayal and the rejection that I'm encountering. I've loved, I've kept up my side of the promise, but the other group hasn't. Someone is treating me in a way I don't deserve. I just want you to know that's not okay. I want you to understand that you can flee and you can separate. You can pursue authorities if you need to. You can can set boundaries. You don't have to stay in that situation. God is not asking you to suffer and take one for the team. That's not healthy. You're not just hang in there, but I also want you to know that you can run to Jesus because he's not some distant, disappointed life coach that lives in an ivory tower. He has endured rejection. He's faced injustice. He has walked the road of suffering. You know, one of the things that's so beautiful about Jesus and and not only did I need Jesus on the cross, but I needed Jesus on the way to the cross because his, his life and the way that he responds is absolutely different than the way I typically respond. As you walk with him through Jerusalem on the way to the cross, what you're gonna realize is he never strikes back. He doesn't get loud. He doesn't try and hurt others. He remains silent. He restrains his lips from evil. He keeps his hands from responding in sin. And this needs to serve as a model for the church and you and I. First Peter says this about Jesus. To this you were called. Oh man, I'm sorry, guys. I got another sermon here. But to this you were called prosperity, blessing, and health. No, that's not the Bible verse. Relax, I'm lying. Okay. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. What does that mean? You're gonna walk through rejection and suffering. This is not glory yet. That you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judge, judges justly. Wow. How did Jesus walk this road? He trusted that father would get justice in the end. Justice will be done. If you're in a season of rejection and suffering and others are shaming you and slandering, let Jesus strengthen you and let Jesus be your model. That you'd not respond in sin, but be faithful now, trusting that God will bring justice later. There's a way to walk through uh, rejection in a good and God-honoring way, and Jesus displays it for us. Man, how different is this? Have you guys ever been in a situation like this where people are throwing stuff at you? People are talking the worst about you? Maybe you're even in a marriage, and and you guys, you know what this looks like where the cutting word comes and your temptation is to get fleshly and defensive and angry and loud, would Jesus be your model and example, amen? Maybe you have a roommate like that and they love to pop off and they come in and they're hot and somebody's defensive. 
and they're saying you're worse and they're accusing you of things that are not true, would this be your model? Would Jesus, this spirit of this living Jesus, empower you to respond in those moments like Jesus? Jesus receives rejection from not just Peter, but he receives rejection from the temple guards. Finally, it's the religious leaders. Let me show you this. When the day came, the assembly of the elders and the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led them away to their council. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. So here the religious leaders are asking Jesus very something very specific. Are you the Christ? Now that's a specific title uh, that was tied to the Old Testament, right? Because uh, God promised to David that there'd be one that comes from his lineage that would be on the throne and rule without end. And so then over time, the Jewish people uh, created this unbiblical narrative that this king that was coming was gonna come to usher in a political kingdom, a physical kingdom, a social kingdom, that he would be a revolutionary that would overthrow their oppressors, mainly uh, the Roman empire, that he would be a king that would use force to usher in an actual physical kingdom for God's people. And the religious leaders want Jesus to say, yes, I am that Christ, so that they could label him as a revolutionary, but that was never his aim. And Jesus says, I'm not even gonna answer your question because your hearts are hard and your ears are closed and you're not open to the gospel. We've had this conversation. And by the way, he says, if I ask you the question, you're not even gonna answer it because he just did this. They asked him, are you the Christ before? And he said, well, how about this? I'll tell you the answer. If you can tell me where John the Baptist got his spiritual authority. Was John the Baptist an actual prophet or was he not a prophet? And it said that they didn't recognize that he had spiritual authority from God And so they didn't answer the question. We don't know where he got his authority because they were so afraid of people, okay? And so Jesus has already said, if you can't recognize the spiritual authority that was on John the Baptist as a prophet of God, you will never recognize me as the son of God, okay? So he understands their minds are closed, their hearts are hardened, their ears are shut. But Jesus doesn't dodge the question. He says this, from now on, the son of man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Jesus says, I am the son of man, which is referring all the way back to Deuteronomy or uh, Daniel chapter seven. This is the divine God man who comes with authority. He says, that's me. The Old Testament is pointing to me. I'm that guy. And what's really happening is they think that the religious leaders think that they've got Jesus right where they want him. And the last time they're ever gonna have to see Jesus is on a Roman cross. And then he's gonna be buried and that will be the end of Jesus. We're gonna silence him. He's gonna be done. We're gonna put an end to this revolution and revolt. But Jesus says, no, 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 I'm the son of man. And he says, the next time that you see me, I will be seated in the right hand of power. See, what Jesus knows is that the cross is not the end for him. Yes, there will be a crucifixion and then there will be a resurrection and then there will be an ascension and then there is an exaltation where he's seated in power. And he says, you guys think you're judging me, but one day you'll be before me and I will judge you. That's the end of the story for these guys. And you would think if Jesus says this, if this was you and I in the story, I would say, pause, time out. Hold on one more second. I think before we hand this guy over to the Romans, we should really make sure that we've got the right answer on this whole Jesus thing because the consequences of getting it wrong sound pretty severe, but they don't pause. Instead, they double down and say, tell me one more time, are you the son of God or not? And they, he says, if you wanna say that I am, then I am. You've said it, not me. But I just want you to know that Jesus has already said publicly and privately that he's the son of God. The father has affirmed him 
at his baptism and his transfiguration. This is my son who I'm well pleased. John the Baptist looked at Jesus, said, behold, the lamb of God who's take away the sins of the world. Even the demonic has recognized Jesus as the son of God. The religious leaders are the only ones remaining blind and persisting in their unbelief. And they're ready to hand him over to the Romans and present charges and work together to see the innocent one Jesus rejected and killed. So let me close with this, City Light. Where do I want to land this plane? Number one, I want to remind the gospel is for you guys. And so even this morning, even while Ryan was worshiping, I was just praying, God, would you help, would you help us in this room understand if we've had Peter moments? Some of you guys, your Peter moment, your worst moment of your life, your biggest sin was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. It still haunts you. I just want to remind you that the grace of Jesus Christ is sufficient for you that you're covered by his righteousness, that whatever is dirty can be made clean by the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's, that's the gospel for us. And we're gonna have to go back to this because by the way, if you've walked through Peter's story, you would think that this is his final moment that he blows it. It's not. And in some ways, that's a great hope for me and you in the church because it tells you guys, we are all limping our way towards glory. Is transformation possible? Yes. Is sanctification a thing? Absolutely. Is it a lot slower and messier than we like to think? Yes. But the gospel is for you. And number two, I want you guys to remind you guys that not to grow weary, that Jesus ran this race of rejection. He can sustain you and empower you in it. So if you're being rejected by somebody, would we experience rejection in a God-honoring way? I think it's gonna happen on, for, in all of our lives in this side of eternity. And lastly, I just wanna encourage us to experience this good news, but allow it to actually transform how we live our lives. What I mean by that is, you know, somehow I've gotten myself into a situation where I spend a lot of time in basketball gyms. I coach my two sons' basketball teams. And so uh, basketball is now like a year-round sport. I didn't know that was a real thing. Um, and so now, even in the summer, I'm still in basketball gyms, even though it's nice outside. I would like to be uh, outside, but I'm inside and I'm at gyms. And I just had this moment a couple weeks ago where uh, I've seen so many of these families, I mean, probably 50 basketball games a year. I'm sitting next to these same parents. And I just, some of them are in very different places. And if you've ever been in a, a, a community like that where you're total strangers and the only thing that brings you together is your kids use sports, is you start to fill out where they're at and you start to fill out where their marriage is at. You start to fill out where their career's at. You start to fill out where their heart's at. You start to feel out where they're spiritually at. And you can start to sense, man, where are these folks? And I just had a question, like I'm looking around this gym and everybody's losing their mind over 10 year olds that are playing basketball, okay? And one of the refs is making a bad call. And you know, I'm joking, I'm taking a deep breath. I'm not blaming the refs. But people are so worked up and I mean, we're all gonna get in our cars and we're gonna go home. And I just had this thought, like, do any of these people know the great lengths that Jesus Christ went? to walk a road of rejection so that they could, they could know that when they think of God, he's not angry at them, but he can delight in them. He can, he can smile over them as sons and daughters. Do they know that like, they don't have to one day face the rejection of their creator, but could enjoy his acceptance right now? Or are they hiding in shame and guilt? Are they hiding in fear? Are they hiding in religion? and playing games with God? Are they just living for the next shiny object and the next trophy and the next photo shoot next to a 10 year old? Or do they have good news that's rooted their soul that gives them joy and peace, that gives them a sense of mission and identity? Guys, I just want you to know our world is really jacked up and the great news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And would you experience it? And church, would you not just experience it, but would we give God 
the opportunity to work through us. Because guys, a lot of your people that you live, work and play with, they're not gonna walk through those doors and let me preach the gospel to them. But every single week you go and you can bring the presence of Jesus Christ to them. And so you're not off this week. I just want you to know that. It's not like you did your hour, now you're off. You're a kingdom citizen. You're Peter who's been forgiven. And all the more you have a testimony to share to the world. Would we be a church that declares good news and displays his gospel? In every basketball gym we go to, in the places we live, work, and play, would we leave this place as people who've encountered grace saying, God, would you use me to display it and show it to others? Let me pray right now. God, I'm so grateful for you. I just want to confess to you, God, what I deserve is your absolute total rejection. God, I've lusted. God, I've given my heart to lesser things. God, I've pursued greed. God, my lips have spoken evil. God, my hands have done wrong. And God, the only hope I have before you is that your son walked a road of, of rejection, drinking a cup of wrath so that I can enjoy a cup of grace. This is the gospel. This is the thing that still makes my heart smile. God, thank you for the saints in this room, for every single one of them who has wept bitterly over their sin, just like Peter, and yet met with your incredible grace. If you love me, then go and feed my sheep. God, would you help us to go and feed your sheep? God, would you help us to enjoy you, to know that you're not disappointed in us, not far from us, but God, that you are a God who can sympathize with those in the room who have lost something, with those in this room who are suffering, with those in this room who are walking a path and it feels bitter, not sweet. God, you've been on that road. Would you strengthen the dear saints in this room that are weary? And God, would you minister to us so that we could be a people who display your gospel in every arena of our life? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.